This episode was sponsored by Quests for Authenticity, the first and only coaching program that uses D&D to help people become just as confident in real life as their characters are at the table. Welcome to the Compendium, a resource designed to help you spend less time learning D&D and more time actually playing. The big thing with paladins is that their magic, their ability, their focus, their true north comes from their the oath that they take, swearing right. their allegiance to this this concept, almost this ideal, um, and and it's possible to not act in accord with that oath or to go mm-hmm. into situations that make you question it or start changing your perspective on this oath that you took. Um, and so the first thing that I, I actually want to talk about is what happens when somebody does not follow their oath, when they don't act in accord to the oath that they set, because there, there's a whole section in the player's handbook about what to do if somebody does not uphold their oath, right? Because if that happens, they're not going to get their magic. Yeah. And so it's it, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. And this kind of harkens back to the early days of the game in the 70s and 80s, where it wasn't just that the paladin had to act according to their, um, their oath. They had to make sure their party did too, or they would be penalized. Their oath really? in Napoleon was depended upon other people's actions that you may not have control over so just associating with bad people like the party rogue or bard um might make you lose abilities which was really unfair it was interesting but uh, that's not going to fly these days i don't really like that yeah it's a little hard in a cooperative kind mm -hmm. of strategy game because that's setting that's setting the party against themselves instead of being a cooperative collaborative game which is the whole point of it so i can see how that would really easy right. easily fracture just the foundation of D to begin with right exactly um and it got a little tedious as well but it made for a lot of fun jokes but basically now the way that works is that just like with a cleric if they act in accordance in a way that's contrary to their god in the paladin's case their oath they could lose their abilities um, and they may have to go on a quest or a special, um, you know, prescribed atonement ritual in order to get those abilities back. Um, were you going to add something to that? I think you have it in front of you. Um, I, I think, like, obviously I've got, like, the information here, and I think conceptually people can can follow the concept that, hey, if you don't, if you don't do what you said you were going to do, if you make different choices or if you act in a way that doesn't uphold this, um, that there's going to be consequences, right? Mm -hmm. I think the the big question is, is partially core, like the raw um, rules as written, um, but also f how just um, conceptually you've played that with how to remedy that, right? Because the, the book has in here about how you might need to do like a full day of fasting and prayer to to repent for your actions, or you might need to seek out a cleric of that shares like a deity to the one that perhaps is the kind of like a focus for your oath. Um, but in gameplay, that that's not always possible, right? If you're stuck in the middle of the Underdark with mm -hmm. your team trapped in a cavern and your paladin makes a dumb mistake because the player got carried away or who knows what happened, right? 
you can't just be like, okay, guys, I'm going to sit here for the next 24 hours in, in a tone because like, you just can't in that scenario. So how do you handle that? Or how do, how do you work within that confines of keeping it really interesting and saying like, that's not what your oath would be. There's consequences mm -hmm. to keep the game interesting and to keep the character authentic, but also like work within the confines of the story and the other characters that are playing. Right. And so what I would do and have done is that when I see a mechanic like that, that is a role play mechanic, I keep the consequences in the same sphere. So it would be a role play detriment because of a role play mechanic. And so if they, like you said, like they're going to spend seven sessions in the underdark and on the third session, that paladin does something that is oath breaking, I'm not going to inflict it or even bring it up maybe until they finish the Underdark arc of you know, those seven sessions. And then that kind of space where they finally make it to, to the surface or to a safe place, and they have some downtime where they're gonna you know, count treasure, do more than just like a quick long rest. That's when they're going to realize something's wrong and I would mention it to them. And so they're gonna have to spend their downtime taking care of this through atonement or fasting or talking to a cleric or perhaps even a little personal side quest that takes, you know, less than a full, you know, sessions worth of it that may or may not include the rest of the party. Uh, so I would keep it to a role play issue since it is a role play mechanic and not mess with all the battles for the next four sessions because they don't have an aura anymore and they don't have any smites and now they're just a worse fighter. That's not fun. And it, again, going back to like we talked about with the old editions of like your moral code having to be opposed on other people, it's not really fun and it can slow things down. So I would like let it be more like zoomed out so that it's not right that second, but rather once you have downtime and you're through this crisis, you're gonna start to realize what you did. Mm -hmm. And yes. it, yeah. Yeah, some other thoughts that I had too, depending again, like I feel like as a DM, you just get to have a lot of creativity around how this should work, knowing yes. knowing the players, not the characters, but knowing the players that are at your mm -hmm. table, the story you're running, the dynamic of the party. Um, but I, I feel like too, you could, you know, somebody could say, I'm gonna use my divine smite on this attack. Um, and you could be like, you know, you hold out your sword and you like speak the incantation, whatever flavor you want to add. And you don't feel energy coursing through your sword. It didn't work without really giving a lot of explanation. Right. Right. Um, and sometimes if you want to keep it fair, you could roll like a percentile and like it mm -hmm. happens on a 50% or greater or something like that. Yeah. Um, give it kind and of, I also make, feel, make it kind of glitchy. Right. Right. And I kind of feel too, like you could, instead of doing a full 24 hours, maybe it's a long rest and you have to stay up all night repenting and suddenly you have a level of exhaustion. So if you F up again, you're going to get a second level of exhaustion. You're not going to be able to remove this first one. So yes. essentially there is a, a immediate fix, but it has repercussions because you either repent and have a level of exhaustion and magic or mm -hmm. you sleep and you don't have exhaustion but now you also don't have magic right so there's gonna be a penalty either way and this is one of the few classes where i think alignment actually matters um in the oh, way that hugely. we hugely yeah the way that we typically talk about it well how it's descriptive not prescriptive but where it gives a clue as to how someone is or isn't lining up with their creed 
right? So mm-hmm. I like that very much. Um, the other thing that I thought about too is, as you know, I'm running Strahd at the moment, and one of the yeah. things in there are dark gifts, which the gifts typically come with side effects like flaws. And that was an interesting concept too of like, what if something happens in the campaign that gives a paladin a flaw that is counterintuitive to their oath? Yes. Right. That would and become then how a very does... interesting conflicted yeah. character. <laughs> like, what do they do? How do they play that? Um, that would be a really interesting thing to to play as well. So I think all of that leading up to like, it, you can break your oath, right? You can go against what you swore you were going to do. There are ways to redeem yourself. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of how that looks should really be left up to the DM discretion because of, of how multifaceted yeah. that is. Um, but there's also the opportunity there that if players decide that for their character that they had this awakening and the oath that they swore to was really um, not something that they agree with anymore on a fundamental level, that's where there is actually the option of a different oath that you were going to talk about in the previous kind of segment um, called the Oath Breaker. And this one is actually, yes. it lives in the Dungeon Master's Guide. It doesn't even mm-hmm. live in any of the player sources. Right, we should tell you what it's meant to be for, right? Like this, yeah. like you can absolutely let a player choose it, but asterisks, like talk with your player a little bit beforehand and figure out what would cause this. Because this is almost like a role play subclass where you go from Oath of Vengeance to Oath Breaker. You wouldn't start as Oath Breaker. That doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. It's a It's a narrative device. Uh, and typically for bad guys. And, and you'll see why, because you have to be evil and third level to do this. Um, but it basically, their uh, channel divinities help you to bolster and command undead creatures. It, it's the complete opposite mm-hmm. of paladins, it's- where it's like, get rid of them, push them away, smite them, kill them. And now you're like, hmm, I can control them. What? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is very much like a Death Knight kind of vibe from the Monster Manual. This is like to put it in like uh, professional wrestling terms is like the heel turn, right? Where now they're like, you know what? I was wrong. Like this, the the turning into the BBEG arc where they're like, no, I see clearly now. Now my eyes are open. I see what needs to happen. We need to purge the whole world of all life, not just evil life. That's they turn the into problem. Thanos. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. That's this is where they like the switch gets flipped and they're off the rocker. And but they it makes perfect sense to them because it's that that zealous devotion of a strict perception of life that can so easily go bad and this is the representation of it um but one of my favorite things just because of the name alone is that seventh level their aura is called aura of hate and i've known people like that but um (laughs) (laughs) but basically fiends and undead within 10 feet of the paladin get a bonus to uh damage rolls um equal to the charisma modifier and uh, they also later just gain resistance to BPS from non-magical weapons. And their capstone is called the Dread Lord. Um, basically, they go Super Saiyan and in their aura, um, where any bright light is reduced to dim light, um, which is nice. Uh, enemies are frightened by him, which makes sense. And they take 4d10 psychic damage 
Uh, and um, they also can choose for their aura to be like draped in an even deeper shadow, uh, causing people to have disadvantage on attack rolls and things. Also, if you had like, oh, I don't know, say a vampire in there with you, you could act as a delivery bubble once you get close enough to the target even though it's the middle of the day. So there's a lot of really like just buck wild things in here. You could absolutely do it, but it is, 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 it's intended to be a certain kind of storytelling device, which is really cool actually. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, a lot of people are very interested in this because a lot of people like tragic hate filled backstories driving their mm -hmm. motives. Um, but it's interesting because like it's, it's walking such a line if you let a player use this yes. right because there's the point where it's like undead get bonuses <laughs> to attacks right so if if this person's in their party it's going to cause the rest of the party to have a harder time because yes. if you go into that cemetery if that that you know is desecrated ground and then you've got an oathbreaker paladin with you you could get your party could get slaughtered just because that person's presence is with you however on that same note if you depending on how you you construct this with your players what if you have a necromancer in your party who can yep. raise the dead and control the undead suddenly now they're the ones that are going to get these buffs as well right in addition to yeah. that wizard's um abilities to kind of control them and so I can see I can see it from all angles but I also see how easy it would be to have this be a huge problem at a table, not just for the yes. story, but for the players as well. Right. This could go off the rails very quickly, but it also could be very beautiful if you use it working with the grain of intention, where it could be very, very powerful and amazing storytelling. And I, I know there's always like the concept of we want to play an all evil character game, which I've never been a huge fan of, but I could also see a world where you're playing a morally gray party game where the necromancer and the oathbreaker are working together because they don't mind using the undead because the bad guys yeah. do way worse than that and uh the lesser of two evils basically it is like a dystopian fantasy setting where it's like like listen we're not trying to save the world we just don't want it to get worse uh because that's the best we can hope for so I, I can see that kind of fun thing too and the last thing i'll say too about paladins is, is like what we talked about with the rangers is where the ranger by the conceit and concept of what they are and they do and their favorite terrain and all that where that class itself is trying to tell a very specific story and so you want to work with your dungeon master ahead of time to make sure that you both can tell the kind of story you want to tell without negating one or the other mm -hmm. the paladin is the same way uh to a, maybe a slightly lesser degree that i think a session zero is really important here because you can help with your dungeon master define your oath define the tenets of this creed you follow and also get to answer questions like what's the one thing your paladin would never do what is the where's the, the line where's the line for him and then that gives you fodder and material for narrative storytelling that could be really really interesting and like what are you trying to accomplish here like more so than any other people because they have like i said that laser tunnel vision focus of a goal that is inherent to the class so i think it's really important and i'll give you a good example is um i had a player in a game who was i think it was oath of vengeance and the secret about his character was that he was a revenant 
he was mm. someone who was dead and was back to seek revenge on the people who killed him and his entire order and revenants are only supposed to last one year um and then they go back to whence they came and so they have one i think it's like a year and a day to accomplish their goal and part of his oath was is that he has to punish everyone who was involved and if he fails to do that there was a real chance that he wouldn't just lose his powers he would just his his borrowed time would just end early because he wasn't dedicated to the goal that brought him back from the dead and mm -hmm. so it uh that could have really easily overtaken the whole story but we worked it out together and it made it just really really interesting really satisfying and uh it's just a, a i think a good example uh, by way of story of how you work together with your dm to use such narratively driven and focused classes like the paladin Thanks so much for joining us this week on The Compendium, where we are talking about all things D&D, helping you spend less time learning and more time actually playing. This episode was sponsored by Quests for Authenticity, the first and only confidence coaching program that uses D&D to help people become just as confident in real life as their D&D characters are at the game table. If you're intrigued, click the link in our show notes to take a free online quiz that will stat you as a level one D&D character in real life. New episodes of the Compendium do come out twice a week, so make sure you subscribe so you're the first to be notified every time new content is published. The Compendium also has a Patreon, so if you like what we do, please consider contributing to our Patreon account for as little as $2 a month, and in doing so, get yourself early access to all of the episodes. Thanks so much for listening in, and we will see you guys next time.